Hi, I'm Valerie Steele, Director and Chief Curator of the Museum at FIT, the most fashionable museum in New York City. Welcome to our Fashion Culture podcast series, featuring lectures and conversations about fashion. If you like what you hear, please share your thoughts on social media using the hashtag #FashionCulture. Good afternoon, everybody. I am beyond thrilled to welcome our special guest today, Norma Kamali, and in many ways a woman who needs no introduction, and someone who is also an alum of FIT, so we're also very happy to welcome her back. Um, she did at one point ask me if this was one of the buildings, so I think FIT has changed and grown quite a lot since yeah. then. I almost couldn't do this conversation, um, partly because Norma's had an amazing career, but beyond that, she's done so much personally. Um, she's someone, as I said, who has training here at FIT. She's traveled the world. She was in London very early on, bringing material back to uh, American audiences. She has interest in the arts, all areas of music and culture, both in the UK and the US. And as I was talking to her earlier, uh, Norma's an amazing designer because she has skills in virtually all areas of fashion design. Brilliant illustrator, but she's also someone who can actually construct clothes. And Norma, I think you said something like 90% of the patterns that you uh, use are the end result of your swimwear, that you do that many. Well, yeah, swimwear to me is uh, something I love to do personally. You know, reading a book is fun and exciting, but when I do swimwear patterns, I get the same kind of feeling. It's a very zen, satisfied yeah. feeling. Yeah. And one of the things I was going to ask you, uh, I want to start off a little bit about your own personal style because on the one hand, it's very distinctive. I love it because it's slightly retro, it's very glamorous, but it's also functional and relatable. And I was wondering if you tell me what the date is of you here at the sewing machine. As you can see, I have left, and I don't have a date on that. I think it's probably... It's definitely early 70s, definitely. Um, and the one, yeah, I think the that was other the, one is. Uh, I have it down as 87. 87, yeah, probably. And I love this one too. You can see the variety. Always recognizable as Norma, but someone who embraces so much. And I think this is one of the other things that we love about your work so much. Um, one of the things also, Norm, is that you have a strong philosophy and belief in taking care of yourself, this idea that health has to go hand in hand with any area mm -hmm. of life. And I'm wondering how that started for you. Well, uh, I think everybody can acknowledge that when you feel good about yourself, um, you feel healthy and you feel like you look good, your self-esteem and body image are definitely affected. And when a woman feels good about herself, she's pretty invincible. There's like, you can't get in her way. Yeah. So I, from working with women for so many years, we're so afflicted with so many issues about how pretty we are, how perfect we are or not perfect. And it really takes us down. So I started to try to think of something beyond a dress to try to help women feel good about themselves. And speaking of that, I want to touch base on a few of the key design elements. Norma's designed so much over her career that we really can't cover it all, but I think it's important to start with 
One of the things that I remember when I was a young woman is this collection using sweatsuit material. And the thing that struck me so much, Norm, is that you're decades ahead of everybody else. The concept of athleisure, which we hear quite a lot now, is something that's very common. People wearing yoga clothes as street clothes. But you were doing this way, way before everyone else. Where did these ideas come from? Well, I was actually designing cover-ups for swimwear. And I was an avid swimmer. And every time I would get out of the water, I'd put a sweatshirt on. And at the time, the only place you would buy a sweatshirt was at an Army-Navy store where boys and men bought work clothes and that kind of thing. And so I got gray sweatshirting, and I was proceeding to do cover-ups. And then I did a jacket, and then I did a gown, and I did a pant. And before I knew it, I had this thing that was bigger than I was, and I was overwhelmed by it. And this is one of my favorite photos of that whole um, series here with Farrah Fawcett in the early 1980s. But Norma, you always gave it a sense of femininity. There's always a sense of the female body as well as form and function on this. Did this come out of your own need, your own need is in terms of lifestyle? Like you said, you needed a cover-up, so you were going to take it to the various right. degrees. Did you make all of these styles for yourself as well? Well, um, actually, when I was at FIT, I was studying fashion illustration, and um, I was also taking a lot of life classes, and I'd taken life drawing even before I came to FIT. And my initial goal in life was to be um, a painter, and Michelangelo was my god. And my mother said, you better learn, earn, learn somehow to, to earn a living. And I got a scholarship <laughs> to FIT. So I thought, well, maybe I can parlay drawing. But I was always interested in the body. And I really had no interest in fashion design. I was really interested in drawing and painting the human form right. more than anything. So that obviously translated. Does this have something to do with the fact that you're able to craft the clothes so well? Were you interested in the technical part of fashion initially, or was this something that you picked up in school and then developed uh, later? Well, I have to say I was so anti-fashion at the time because when I came to FIT, this was still the Mad Men era and the corsets and all of that sort of coordinated hat and gloves. And I will tell you that FIT students were dressed that way. <laughs> I was not, and I was really one of the outcasts. And, um, and I, I had a painter mentality, and fashion to me was I didn't like it until I started when I graduated and ended up getting a job in the airline to travel. And here I was in London at the very beginning of the next phase, which was so me. And then I said, oh, I can, I can do this fashion thing. This is different. So there was definitely a switch from one era to another. But just picture FIT, handbags, matching hats, gloves, <laughs> seriously, corsets, girdles, yeah, yeah, garter belts. Stockings, not pretty. Yeah. <laughs> not pretty. <clears throat> and there are photographs of you coming back and forth from London, really looking yes. very avant-garde. Yeah. Not looking like, the, and when I came back um, after, and this was the very beginning in London, 
very, very beginning. I remember going to King's Road to a boarding house somebody told me about. It was $6 a night, and I thought, I have to, okay. It was on Draycott Avenue, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm getting a place there. And I remember going out on King's Road, and there were two shops that were bright colors, and everything was gray. And I said, something's going on there. And I, the hairs on my arms, so I, had like, I was drawn to it like a butterfly. I had to go. And each, I was there every weekend for four years, ladies and gentlemen. And <laughs> each week, there was another store with color, another paint, another building of color, people wearing color, energy, music, excitement. And so I would come back, and my skirt would go up, up, up. <laughs> and before that, it's madman time. Nobody is wearing a skirt above their knees, so cars were screeching. <laughs> I, I was definitely labeled the prostitute of whatever because I was showing my knees, and they just kept getting shorter and shorter. And I was definitely, when I was there, I felt right in the moment. When I came here, I was so taken back by the fact that it was still Motown music right. and nobody was listening to right. any guitars or anything like that, that yeah. it was still, we were still so far behind the energy of what was happening Interesting. there. Interesting. But there's something also about this concept of the body. The swimsuit becomes another element of your career that is so definable. I think this may be one of the most famous photographs, certainly, of the 1960s. It sort of defines it, and here is Farrah Fawcett wearing your work. And I think also you become even better known by the second half of the 1970s. What was it about the bathing suit, Norma, that drew you to this process of creating in this way? Well, like I said, I'd love to swim, and I'd spent so much time with anatomy and learning to draw and movement and form, and I love dance. Uh, Rudolf Nureyev was on my wall, Michelangelo all over, so that was what I was seeing. So a swimsuit covers a very small part of the human form, right. and so understanding that a swimsuit is like a piece of sculpture, it's got all sides to, and they all have to work together. So I really loved it personally, and it was just intuitively something I was going to do. Yeah. Um, and my, this cover actually launched me at now, in perspective, 1977, swimsuits were low leg. They were not high leg. And swimsuits were printed. There were a lot of flower prints. prints swimsuits were cotton with elastic threading in them. So using this fabric in a solid, in a high leg, was very off the charts. And when Sean, who was Scavolo's stylist, came and said, I want to put that on the cover of Cosmo, I was like, really? You're going to do that? And he said, I'm doing it. And the beauty of it is that um, shockingly, it put me in the swimwear business, but I remember Bloomingdale's coming up to see the collection because everybody was talking about it, and they came up, and I had a model to, to show the swimsuits, and they just got up and walked out. <laughs> and I'd never done wholesale before, and I thought, wow, this is weird, <laughs> the way 
wholesale business <laughs> and then and then it wasn't that much maybe 10 years later um, that I happened to be in a meeting with the woman that got everybody to get up and leave and I understood a little bit more that that wasn't really the way wholesale was done <laughs> and I I could not keep it in and it was like a different kind of business meeting completely and I said you know I'll never forget my impression of what the wholesale business was <laughs> when you got up and walked out she said, oh dear we really loved it but it wasn't right I said well you could have said that's goodbye <laughs> <laughs> but it was you know that's how you learn there we are but you know the thing is here we have your incredible swimsuits, and I, I'm sure all of you are familiar with these images. The thing that strikes me, and what so many people have said, though, is that it fits so many different body types, Norma, and that's gotta be at the base of what you do, like you said, respect for the body, but respect for women in particular, because there's probably no more terrifying garment for us to put on and wear in public than Definitely. a swimsuit. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. But we're flipping through these quickly, because we do wanna give all of you a chance to talk to Norma as well. Um, the other thing you talked about was dance, and I was wondering if you could talk just a little bit about yeah. your interaction with Twyla Tharp, because I believe you did costumes for three of her yeah. works. And, and some other things, too, some smaller um, dances that she's done. Well, Twyla, um, Richard Avedon introduced us um, before Twyla did In the Upper Room, and these are pictures from the costumes for In the Upper Room. And In the Upper Room, Twyla Tharp, for those of you who may not know, um, is probably one of the most innovative modern dance uh, choreographers mm -hmm. ever. And she is so innovative and creative. And the In the Upper Room was the first time a choreographer took ballet dancers and modern dancers and put them in the same dance. And so it was so much fun to work with her on that. And, um, and we've done a lot of things together since then. And she's a dear friend um, who I just love and respect. And I've done, I did costumes for The Wiz for Cindy right. Lumet's film too. And a we lot of a dance of things that were yes, we'll come back to this lots episode. of fun. Exactly. <clears throat> That's actually, you, there you go, you have pictures. There we go. I just want to go back to this just for a moment because one of the things that's interesting, Norm, is that you bring together so many different elements, including some retro, because there's, there's images of you as well as some, your ad campaigns that sort of reference periods like the 1940s, which was a great heyday for female designers, particularly mm -hmm. in New York. You have mm -hmm. Claire McCardle and, and many others. I'm wondering, did that time period speak to you particularly for that reason? or others? Well, there, there was a, a period of time for me, um, these actually were billboard campaigns. They were big billboards in Times Square. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think there's a classic timeless beauty that is American that was a big part of the movies of the 30s and 40s. Right. Right. And my generation, watch those movies on television. And how could you not be influenced by the classic, I mean, that face is still a classic timeless right. face. Right. The hair, the makeup, the, the, just everything about the clothes are still red carpet clothes. Yes. There's nothing yes. different on the red carpet. Right. So the, the American fashion 
doesn't really have a deep, long history, but American film is really where the classic, timeless American fashion, to me, has its roots. Yeah, that's a great point. And just again, to show these incredible things, this is really coming off of your parachute idea. Yeah. And again, talk about survival. If you ever jump out of an airplane in your ball gown, there you are, you're ready to <laughs> go. Right. Uh, Norma, how did the parachute idea come about? Well, this is a, a little bit of a, um, a controversial story. I just, I had my store on Madison Avenue on the second floor and Halston's store was literally doors away. And Victor Hugo was his assistant and a very influential right. force in Halston's life. And um, Victor and I were very good friends. Victor spent so much time in my store that you, you wouldn't know where he really belonged, right? And um, so I did a swimsuit that wrapped around the body and it was one piece of fabric and it was a, a, a wrap diaper wrap kind of swimsuit. <clears throat> and I guess Victor liked it. And so I see the cover of Time Magazine and my swimsuit is on the cover except it says Halston. So I was so hurt and so upset. And I didn't say anything, but Victor called me and he said, I owe you a big favor, I'm so sorry. He said, I want you to come, Halston's gonna be away. I want you to come to Halston's house on Saturday. I said, I'm not going. And he said, no, you must go. You have to let me, let me say I'm sorry. And so I go to Halston's house. Halston's house was a brownstone where the interior was cut out and you can see the skylight all the way at right. the top. And, and it's he, for sale for 40 yeah, million by the way. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and there was a big ottoman right at the bottom. And on the first balcony, um, so Victor told me to close my eyes and sit on the ottoman. And the first balcony, he dropped a parachute on me. And he said, I know that you're going to do great things with this. And this is my way of paying you back. There so, we are. Let someone you steal your idea. So it so. was good. I don't care about Time Magazine. Yeah. It's totally better. <laughs> and this dress is so amazing. Um, this was also in our Impact exhibition uh, in 2012. Oh, right. yeah. And it was interesting because when we asked the designers, this was a celebration of the CFDA's 50th anniversary, um, your piece and Tom Brown's piece were the first to arrive. And they were extraordinary garments. But both of them had a lot of feathers on them. And I thought, I wondered if this was a portent to come. I was wondering if that was going to be one of the themes. But right. as much as these are innovative, Norma, what we're really thrilled with is the sleeping bag coat. Right. Um, we know that you created it as early prototypes as early as 1973. Yeah. And the version that we have is from 1977. And this coat has been a star. This may be the one item that I think people most closely associate with you. It was a great seller then. When I went to college in the late 70s, I had one which meant that uh, young women could afford it. It was yeah. not just for the elite. Yeah. And it is still being worn today. We're going to see some examples. I'm wondering, Norm, if you could tell everybody how you came up with this incredible So um, in the early 70s, um, I used to go camping a lot. And I would go upstate and canoeing and camping. I loved it. 
and um, I would sleep in my sleeping bag in a tent. And one night, um, it was really cold. It was getting towards the end of August, and you had to go out in the woods if you wanted to kind of do whatever. <laughs> and so I just said, I was no way I'm going out there. I picked up my sleeping bag. I put it over me. As I'm walking into the woods, I'm thinking, oh my God, this is such a great coat. So <laughs> I, I went back home, I took my sleeping bag and I cut a coat out of it and I didn't waste one part of the sleeping bag. And that pattern is exactly the same pattern I've used since 1973 to today. Fabulous. And it's really incredible because the, the coat functions, it's really not a design that you would call fashion. So it's more of a commodity, and I think that's the reason for its survival. But it also is so versatile. The fact that you can see movie stars wearing it in every variation, and I think these two are my favorite. Nothing like Lady Gaga with one. And then also making it for someone, um, Andre Leontali size. I think he's, what, six, seven or something? He's yeah. a very, very tall yeah. man. Um, and the, the idea that it could still resonate, I think, is, is one of the things. But the other thing that's very important, again, and I said it earlier, and I want people to remember this, is that designers like Norma don't spend a lot of time advertising herself. She spends a lot of time making clothes. And I think this is why you come up with ideas that everyone has copied, from the high-heeled sneaker to athleisure to this idea. And we've seen people like Martin Margiela um, in the late 90s come up with his duvet coat. It's basically Norma's sleeping bag coat. Um, the filling is different, but basically the idea is yeah. exactly the same. And so, Norma, I'm wondering what you feel about this, because one of the great highlights of your career, I think was wonderful, is when you got the Lifetime Achievement Award from the CFDA. There's nothing like your colleagues stepping up and saying, we recognize your contributions. What do you think about this? Well, it's, it's very nice. And, um, you know, through the years, what I, I just have to preface this by saying, you know, in your career, in a fashion career especially, if you decide ahead, right up front what your goals are. So my goal was to have a creative life. For me, that was really so important and to have creative freedom. So I knew if I could be an entrepreneur and do that, that would guarantee it. But it also meant a struggle to pay bills, to not have partners. And through the years I have had partners, I've had many collaborations that have helped fund my company. But when you don't have big funding and you choose the creative life, other people claim what you've done as theirs. So yeah. Yeah. It, there's, there are many examples of that that I personally would feel, oh, you know, well, and then I have another idea, that's okay. Right. And so I always knew I had another idea, so I never really got mad about it or upset about it, but I understood that if I had the money to shout about it, it would have helped, but then maybe I wouldn't have freedom. Yeah. So there are choices you make throughout your career, and I made the right choice for me. I'm not gonna be the most famous designer in the world, I'm not gonna be the richest in the world, but I don't need anything more than I have, right. because I have 
a creative life, and what could you ask for that could be better than that for me? Right. So to be recognized was extraordinary, and I never expected it because my expectations are never for fame or right. fortune or any of that. So it was something that happened that I never thought would and I don't expect. Right. So that was very sweet. And you know, OMO has always been sort of your, yeah. on my own has been uh, I think your motto throughout your career. The one thing I did also want to say is Norma looks extraordinary. I bet you all would have no idea that she's in her 70s exercises every day, and I think one of the things that also motivates you, Norma, if I may, is that your positive outlook on life. You're very positive and supportive. And so again, we have a lot of students here, and I hope you will take this opportunity to please introduce yourself, come and ask questions to the great Norma Kamali. Norma, thank you so much thank for joining you. us.